Acts chapter 2. If you follow the church calendar at all, you know that next week is what? Pentecost. Pentecost Sunday. You should feel so blessed that you get two weeks of Pentecost. Two weeks of teaching about who is the third person of the Holy Spirit. Two summers ago, we spent 13 weeks investigating the third person of the, of the Trinity. Who is the Holy Spirit? And we talked about how often in, in, in Protestant circles, in our circles, the Holy Spirit is kind of treated as the red-headed stepchild of the Trinity. Nobody knows exactly what to do with the Holy Spirit. He's kind of scary. He's this nebulous person. What does he really do? We understand God the Father, who before time created, he was there, he spoke, and it was. We understand who Jesus Christ is, because he was the one who came, the perfect, perfect sacrificial lamb, who lived the perfect life that nobody could live. He accepted the wrath of God so that we could have access to the Father, so that we could be saved from God's wrath. We understand that, that he died and he rose again and he is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. We, we understand that now we have the Holy Spirit. What do we do with the Holy Spirit? So I want to encourage you, if you, if you have a lot of questions, I, this, these next two weeks are not going to be enough to totally satisfy you. Go back, check out the website, look for the Holy Spirit series. But this morning we are going to be reading from Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. Follow along with me. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all gathered, to, were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were seating, were seated, sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together. And they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said, they are filled with new wine. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, you have given your word and it is complete. It is 
to satisfy our soul. It is to teach our mind. It is to correct us from sin, convict us of sin. It is to fill us up and give us life and point us to Jesus Christ. God, I thank you for the scripture this morning. Lord, I pray that the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth will be pleasing to you, O oh God, and instruct your church in greater holiness. Teach us, O oh God. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Ten days earlier, the, all the apostles were standing on the hill. Jesus gave his last parting words. And with that, he was taken up. He went up into heaven. And there, could you imagine at that point, they had just seen Jesus Christ some 40 days earlier. They had just seen Jesus Christ brutally killed. Their minds were wandering, what is this? We have been following him for three solid years, and now he's dead. And then for 40 days, he walked with them, he talked with them, he ate with them, he dined with them. He taught them again from scriptures all the things of the kingdom of God from the Old Testament. He taught them all these things. He encouraged them. He kept on pointing them forward. And now, he disappears into the heavens. And there on their sides were two angels who said, why are you still standing here? You saw how he went up and he will come back again. They were looking up and up into the sky as he was going. Just imagine the rapture on their faces as they gazed until the cloud was only a spark in their eyes and the angels told them to get moving. Those uplifted eyes set the tone for the next 10 days that followed as they looked for Christ's return via the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and the influx of spiritual power. They did not believe that Jesus... They did really believe that Jesus was going to send the Holy Spirit. There was no doubt about it. No wavering. Their confidence made them ready to have their cups filled and warmed by the Holy Spirit. Also during that 10 days between the Ascension and Pentecost, they became increasingly aware of their need to be filled. During Christ's life, they had known an exhilarating presence. During those 40 days between the resurrection and the ascension, they had repeatedly been blessed with his visits. But during these 10 days, the, the disciples undoubtedly, undoubtedly felt somewhat empty. They were more aware than ever of the importance of their Savior's presence. And now he was gone. The Master's words from John 15, 5, apart from me, apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. We're forever embedded in their consciousness. But their profound emptiness 
made them ready for Pentecost. What happened to this apostolic band when the Holy Spirit came? What happens when the Holy Spirit fills us and how can we prepare it? Prepare for it. Those are the three things that we are going to be talking. What happened to these apostles when the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost? Question number one. Well, verse, verse one says that the day of Pentecost had finally arrived. It was, the fifth, it was 50 days after the Passover. And what the Pentecost means is the 50th. Passover occurred in, during kind of mid-April, so Pentecost was at the beginning of June generally. It was one of the best attended great feasts because the weather was perfect. And so everybody, this was, I don't want to say it was like Disney World, but everybody gathered at one spot because the weather was perfect. The traveling conditions were perfect. They all came together. People from all over the world, their known world, came to Jerusalem to worship and give their first fruits. A divinely arranged appropriateness in the Feast of Pentecost provides a background for the giving of the Holy Spirit. Originally, this, this time was considered the Feast of First Fruits. It was emphasized by a special offering of two baked loaves made from freshly gathered wheat to be a first fruits to the Lord. And as the day of first fruits, Pentecost was eminently appropriate because the Holy Spirit was given and there was a conversion of 3,000 people at that moment. 3,000. Talk about a gift of first fruits. It was absolutely amazing. And it was also fitting because the time of Christ's Pentecost was considered the anniversary of the giving of the law. And it was a perfect opportunity to give the contrast between the giving of the law from Moses with the giving of the Holy Spirit. Richard Longnecker wrote this, the Spirit's coming is in continuity of God's purpose in giving the law, and yet the Spirit's coming signals the essential difference between the Jewish faith and commitment to Jesus. The former, former is Torah, Torah-centered, and Torah-directed, and the latter is Christ-centered and Spirit-directed. Pentecost occurred divinely at the right time. So what happened on that day? What happened on that day? As the apostles' heads were bowed in prayer, maybe they, they were praying the kind, in kind of the way that Jesus taught them to pray. This is how you should pray. Our Father who is in heaven, holy is your name. Oh, Father, may your kingdom come. May your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, you have promised it. Jesus said, apart from you, we can do nothing. May your kingdom come. And they were praying. Maybe they were praying for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Who knows? But they were praying. And suddenly, a breeze. But it was more than a breeze. 
Literally, it was an echoing sound as that of a mighty storm violently roaring through the house like a tornado. I don't know how many of you have ever been around a tornado. Anybody? Some, some of you? Okay, that noise is terrifying. Some people say it sounds like a train coming. I've never heard a train like that. This, this noise that came into this, this upper room where they were gathering, it was a mighty rush of wind sounding like a tornado. And could you imagine the bewildered look on their eyes? What, what is going on? What is going on? Maybe somebody opened the windows to see if there was a, a, a dust storm or a tornado coming. And then somebody probably realized it is Pentecost. He promised that if we stay in Jerusalem, he will send another helper who is just like him. Today is the day. God's spirit was coming upon them. A fiery presence was in their midst. And it suddenly divided into separate fires, flame-like tongues, that danced over the heads of all who were present. We, we need to understand fire had a, meant the presence of God. You think about Moses when he was in the desert. And when he was in the desert, all of a sudden he noticed as he was tending sheep, a bush that was what? It looked like it was on fire. And he heard this voice saying, whoa, 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 take off your sandals because the place that you are walking is what? Holy ground. Fire. And these people probably remembered John the Baptist. And through John the Baptist, God promised a baptism of fire. And now it was here. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. It was an electrifying moment where instantly they were given languages as the Spirit was giving them the ability. They spoke as clearly and powerfully as the Old Testament prophets. But there was this wind too that was going about. And it probably reminded them of Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel. If you know the story, Ezekiel was, was told to prophesy over what? Does anybody know? Nobody knows. Dry bones. He's told to prophesy over dry bones because these dry bones were like the nation of Israel. They were dry spiritually. They were dead. And he was instructed to to prophesy, to preach over a field of dry bones. And this is what Ezekiel 37, 9 and 10 said. And thus he said to me, God said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, O son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe onto these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded, and the breath came into them. And they lived and stood on their feet, 
an exceedingly great army. At Pentecost, the reviving winds of the Holy Spirit came upon the apostles with incredible spiritual life and power. So I wonder, you know, okay, you and me, the church, I, I understand that some 2,000 years ago, an amazing upper room experience took place. None, unlike none other. In, in that moment, boom, the Holy Spirit was now living inside men and women. No longer were they being guided by this, this, this towering flame out in the desert and they had to follow it. It was now in them. The Spirit of God was in them. And we go, that is an amazing experience. I wish I could have that kind of experience. The truth is, that is true for us today. That spiritual life, that power is available to Paul Vroom. That power is available for Nate Hall, Sean Amuda. It is available to all of us who are in Christ to have the Spirit of God dwelling within us, to have that kind of a spiritual life and that kind of power available. But look at our lives. Is there any kind of power in your life? Maybe the kind of power that you can muster up, if you know what I'm talking about. You can work hard, you can put a lot of time in it, but is there anything about you that says, man, the Spirit of God, the living God, is dwelling in me. And it empowers me. The Holy Spirit empowers me to do ministry. To live in such a way that demands a gospel explanation. Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon, one of my favorite guys, said this about when the Holy Spirit comes. The style of the Holy Spirit is one which conveys the truth of God to the mind in the most forcible manner. It is plain but flaming, simple but consuming. The Holy Spirit has never written a cold period throughout the whole Bible, and never did he speak by a, life, uh, by a man, a lifeless word. He always gives and blesses the tongue of fire. If we are filled with the Spirit of God and we're putting to de er death areas of sin in our life, there is more room for the Spirit of God to dwell in us in a more full way so that we can powerfully live and be a testimony to the goodness of Jesus Christ. We can live like no one else lives. Because why? The Spirit of God dwells in me. What is it that makes us different from those who have not been saved from Jesus Christ? A ton. But the living God dwells within us. Dwells within us. So what happens to us? What, what makes 
What does the Spirit do in us that makes us different? How, how does he, does the, he change us in any way? We get some idea from Ephesians 5, and I want to encourage you, find Ephesians 5. Galatians, Ephesians, it's to your right if you're in Acts. 978 if you have a pew Bible. Follow along with me. Ephesians 5, starting at verse 18. What happened in the apostles and what is to happen in us? Listen. Verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine, but for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. And what happens when we are filled with the Spirit? We start addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. There, there are four subordinate participles that are in there. So if we are filled with the Holy Spirit, four things should be evident in our life as Paul lays them out. The first thing is that there was communication going on. They were to be speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. On Pentecost and the following days, through, through the work of the Holy Spirit, believers were united in the core of their beings. They were absolutely united and they shared the same good news. And they discovered a depth and a joy of communication that they never had before. This spiritual exchange is best expressed by reading and teaching scripture and by worshiping God with music. They were communicating. They were speaking to one another. They were reminding them of the scripture which is inspired by God. They were communicating. But I don't think that communication was just with one another. I believe that this communication went out because they were reminded of, of the Great Commission. Go, therefore. They were empowered by the Holy Spirit to go share the good news, share Scripture, share the life that has been transformed by the power of the gospel. Go, let me tell you about this Jesus who died for my sins so that the wrath of God is no more, so that I can be a child of God. Oh, let me tell you about this. Let me show you through my life. It is a witness of the transforming power of God. Look at me. I am no longer the same. And then we can do that to one another as well. We remind each other with scripture and with our transformed lives. Look at what has happened. Communication. We speak to one another. Our communication is changed. But there was also, here's the second piece. There was joy. That's right, my vanilla village. Joy. And I'm not sure that we understand joy. We want happiness, don't we? But happiness is often reliant on circumstances. We are to have joy 
in every circumstance. Not a happiness, but it's a deep-seated contentment and pleasure in the work of God. They were to sing and make melody in their heart to God. The inner music of their souls went right up to God. One of the more memorable figures of the great Welsh revival was a guy named Billy Bray. And Billy Bray was, was a coal miner. If you know anything about coal miners, it is not the most uh, pleasurable job. You sneeze and you sneeze out nothing but black. It fills your lungs with black coal dust. The lifespan of a coal worker was short and their life was always in danger because at any moment, the tunnels can cave in. But Billy was so alive that he would descend the shaft in the, in the morning and he, he would pray this, Lord, if any of us would be killed today, let it be me. Let not one of these men die for they are not happy and I am. How often do you say that when you go into work? Or drive to Tri-State. Lord, don't let any of these people die. I, I see their road rage. Let me die. Because I have joy and satisfaction in you. He was a man preeminently known for his joy. In one, in one somber meeting when the people were commiserating over their difficulties during this, this revival, he said this. He arose smiling and clapping his hands said, Well, friends, I've been taking vinegar and honey, but praise the Lord, I have had the vinegar with a spoon and the honey with a ladle. His testimony was always one of joy and victory. Speaking concerning the Lord, he said, he has made me glad and no one can make me sad. He makes me shout and no one can make me doubt. He is, in, he is, he, it is that makes me dance and leap and there's no one that can keep down my feet. He would have fit right in to that upper room in Acts chapter 2 for they were declaring the wonders of the Lord. They were declaring it. This is what God has done. There was joy in that room, but there was also thanksgiving. They were always giving thanks to God the Father for what? Everything. They gave, gave thanks to God for everything. If it's the job loss, the uncertainty of tomorrow, what's tomorrow going to be? They gave thanks to God as moving from one place to another place. They gave thanks to God for a stillborn death. They gave thanks to God for the new job promotion. They gave God for this. They gave in everything. They gave thanks to God. It makes absolutely no sense. And the world outside would be going, what is up with you? Are you serious? But there's something when it, the Spirit of God lives in you. Your hope is not found in the circumstances of this world. Your hope is found on Jesus Christ and Him alone. It, this action is a supernatural action. And this holy, uh, the apostles were not that way before the coming of the Spirit. 
they were also in subjection to one another. Paul says to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And this had not previously been a part of their life. If, if you remember back, they, they were more concerned about who's going to be sitting on the right and the left of Jesus when he comes. They were fighting over who has the best place. Nobody wanted to wash feet in that, in that last little moment in the upper room for the Passover meal. Nobody wanted to wash feet because that meant that I was giving up my place of, well, I was entitled to that spot and you need to wash my feet because you came later as a disciple. Uh, I'm, I'm on that inner circle with Jesus. You know, they say Peter, James, and John, we're the three, you're the extras. You wash my feet. But they became subject to one another. And that was an amazing transformation. And when we talk about church membership, church membership should be people who are what? Who are filled with the Spirit. We are to be filled with communication to one another. We are to be filled with joy. We should be filled with thanksgiving. We should be subject to one another. And the biggest thing that sticks in me is this joy piece. Is, there tr is our community of faith, our family, marked with joy? Really, are we marked with joy? Manitoba. Is there going to be anything about your leadership over the next 12, however many weeks you're going to be here that is going to be marked with joy, especially about week five, when you're tired? Spirit of God dwells in you, and it, through His enabling, His power, there should be joy So what does this mean for us? There was a certain emptiness that they had. He had gone. And they were waiting. And they were alone in this upper room, just waiting. Christ had left them. He gave them a promise. They knew it was going to be coming. But there's an emptiness because he wasn't there. What does, it, what does it mean for us? I believe that we need to have a certain emptiness in our life, a desire to be filled, a deep desire to be filled with more of God in our life. Constantly putting to death more of the flesh and coming more alive in Christ. There should be a hunger, a desire for more life. As that fire of the Holy Spirit dwells within us, it should be burning away those other things. The chaff in our life, the, the dross in our life, the, the things that are unnecessary in our life, our, our wants, our needs, our desires, and it should melt those things away so that we have more space for God's work in our life. We need to acknowledge that we need Christ more than we need the air that we breathe, 
the water that we drink, the food that we eat, the spouse that we have, the children that we love, the job that we have. We need Christ more than anything. If you don't believe that, you are ultimately empty. And you're clinging to other things. We need Christ. We need to be like the apostles who are living in empty dependency until that filling finally came. The key to the spirit-filled Christian life is found in this strange paradox. Cultivating an attitude of perpetual emptiness which brings with it a perpetual fullness. Let me say that again. We need to be cultivating an attitude of perpetual emptiness which brings with it a perpetual fullness. Because Jesus himself said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they will be, they'll be filled. Let's pray. Father God, we, we offer our lives. And for all of us in this room, that means different things. Some of us are just living lives that are absolutely irresponsible. And not dependent on you at all. Some of us lead lives of lies telling half-truths or no truth at all so that we can get our way. Some of us are leading secret lives of lust or need agreed for more and having what does not belong to us. Some of us are just empty. There's no life, there's no evidence of the Spirit working in us. We're just empty. So God, here's our cup, our life. We ask you, God, we implore that you fill it. And God, we, we pray that all that you intend to happen in our lives come to pass. That it comes to pass through the power and the presence of your Holy Spirit. God, I, I plead with you. Please continue to do the work in and through us so that it may produce a supernatural joy and praise in our hearts. God, may your fullness, your fullness, bring salvation to many around us. For your glory, God. 
And we pray this in the, the name of Jesus, the name that saves, the name that's above all other names, the name that every knee will bow to. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.